Hello, and welcome back to the second episode of the A to Z Animal Podcast. I'm your host, Michaela Baraka, and of course, any little bird noises you may hear, such as those cute little peeps in the second half of last week's episode, is my unofficial co-host, Pickle, my canary wing parakeet. She is very cute, so I recommend checking her out on Instagram, at Pickle the Canary Wing. Last week, we introduced the podcast and dove into the weird world of the eye-eye, and I hope you enjoyed it. Now, today's animal has a little more information out there and may require a little more detailed explanation because, man oh man, I don't even know how to start describing the group of animals this guy belongs to. Before we dive in, remember that you can find all of my sources linked in the show notes and transcript, which are available on our website, the a to z animalpodcast.com, under the Episodes tab. Resources to help this week's animal will also be linked there. Additionally, any ecology terminology that may be used often most likely can be found on our glossary page. I will be defining words that we may not encounter as often in an individual episode. If you have any feedback or recommendations for a letter, feel free to contact me at Mickey Barra or at A to Z Animal Pod on Twitter and Instagram. There is also a form that you can fill out for animal suggestions. Even if we've done that letter, so a or b still feel free to submit as hopefully we'll get the chance to circle back around this week we are focusing on the letter b for binturong now something really funny happened to me the day before i sat down to write this week's episode i was talking to someone and i mentioned that i loved giraffes and not just giraffes but the giraffidae family especially okapis yes you can expect the letter o to be okapi they are my favorite animal she agreed and said you know i really love the binturong And I was so confused for a second because I thought she was saying the Binturong was a member of the giraffe family, which it is not. And I was like, do I not actually know what this animal is? Like, I am doing a podcast on it this week and I know I haven't done a ton of research, but it's not an ungulate. She explained that she just meant the Binturong was her favorite animal and then I realized that sometimes things just go over my head. Okay, maybe that story was not as funny as it was in my head, but either way, it was a weird coincidence that the person who I hadn't told about this podcast just so happened to say this week's animal was her favorite. This is someone I see once a week at an internship, so I don't feel like I know her well enough to plug the podcast, but Miranda, if you're listening, hi! Okay, so the binturong. As I said last week, we will always start with the scientific name of an animal, and the binturong's scientific name is Arcticus binturong. And this is interesting because when I first saw the scientific name for these animals, I was like, huh, Arcticus, as in the Arctic? But they live in fairly warm climates. And it turns out, no, not like the Arctic. Arcticus comes from ancient Greek. Now last week, I said most of these names are Latin. Well, there are a fairly fair amount of them that are Greek, and I should have done some more digging into the entomology or origin of the II's scientific name. Arcticus can be broken down into two Greek words, arctos and ictus. Arctos means bear, and ictus means weasel. And much like the II, the binturong is the only member of this genus. Its species is binturong, and once again, it is not uncommon for a sole member of the genus to have its scientific name be its common name. We don't actually know what the word binturong means, as the language from which it originates is no longer in existence. The binturong does not just have its scientific name and its common name. It also has a second common name, or maybe a nickname. It is also called the bear cat in some parts of the world. Like I said, scientific names can come in handy when it comes to identifying a species with different names. But why are binturongs called bear cats? They aren't related to bears or cats nor are they a hybrid between the two. 
Well, I found a quote from the San Diego Zoo's website that I think sums it up perfectly. A binturong has a face like a cat's and a body like a bear's. Long, shaggy, black hair, stiff white whiskers, and a prehensile tail that's as long as its body. And the hair coloration on binturongs can vary from black to brown with white, silver, or rust on the tips, which gives the binturong a grizzled appearance. And I guess if you wanted to play that game of what happens when you crossbreed two or more species of animals, you could throw a monkey into the mix here with a prehensile tail. Or maybe a porcupine. There is a species of porcupine with a prehensile tail. Fun fact, the binturong is one of two carnivores with a prehensile tail, the other being a kinkajou. Okay, I'm getting off topic. Instead of being a bear, cat, or monkey, the binturong belongs to the Viveridae family, with civets and are fairly closely related to fossas. Now you're probably sitting there going, what? And what? And if you're anything like me, you may be thinking the fossa was a made-up creature from the DreamWorks animation movie Madagascar. At least until you encounter a fossa at the Philadelphia Zoo at age 17 and realize you're ridiculous. Viveridae is a family of 14 genera with 33 species of small to medium-sized mammals. In my opinion, they kind of look like cat-sized weasels. Basically, this family is a primitive group of filiform carnivora, or cat-like carnivores. So, much like how the eye-eye is more similar to our early primate ancestors, the members of the Viveridae family, including the Binturong, give us a good idea of the animals that led to the cats we know today. The fossa aren't actually a species within the Viveridae family, as they belong to the Eupleridae family, which is a group of ten different species that are endemic to the island of Madagascar. But they are also carnivores and have early cat-like characteristics. We aren't talking about the fossa, but I felt like I needed to clear that up. Other than looking vaguely cat-like, this family is classified by having four to five toes with retractable claws on each foot, six incisors in each jaw, and molars with tubercular grinders. From what I've read, it seems tubercular grinders are features of molars that allow members of the carnivora order to chew meat. And, much like a cat, this family has a very prickly tongue. However, their muzzle is longer than cats, and some of their other skeletal characteristics are different. And as someone who is not an expert in cat anatomy, I do not think it's best I try to explain the details of those differences. By the way, a civet is a group of small mammals found in tropical Asia and Africa. Maybe I'll do an episode focusing on a specific member of this group later. So, where are you going to find binturongs in the wild? Just like their cousins, the civets, they are found in the tropical rainforests of Southeast Asia. More specifically, according to the Thai National Parks website, binturongs can occur from India, Nepal, Bangladesh, Bhutan, Myanmar, Thailand, Malaysia to Laos, Cambodia, Vietnam, and Yunnan in China, and from Sumatra, Kalimantan, and Java in Indonesia to Palawan in the Philippines. Really, anywhere in the tropical region of South and Southeast Asia with tall forests. But if you're thinking of going binturong watching next time you're in the area, think again. This species isn't often spotted in the wild, most likely because they tend to sleep the day away in the canopy of the forest, making it incredibly difficult to catch a glimpse of one, not to mention their population is on the decline, making them even more difficult to find. A typical binturong home range within these forests is 6.2 square kilometers. This is nowhere as large as an eye eyes, but these animals are often compared to sloths with how slow they move. I also learned that there are several subspecies of binturong based on their location. 
One of the ways scientists define a species is through the biological species concept. Will two individuals encounter each other in the wild, and can they produce viable offspring, or babies that will then be able to reproduce later in life? Subspecies form when most likely these two individuals would be able to mate and produce viable offspring, but their ranges don't really overlap for some reason. In the case of the Binturong, most likely they lived in a large tropical forest that over time began to disappear thanks to us humans. Additionally, small home ranges prevent population overlaps. Now, the different populations are separated and don't naturally encounter each other. Should this continue, over time the subspecies may speciate, or form two separate species. In this scenario, it would be allopatric speciation, or the formation of new species as a result of physical isolation. Most likely, we will not see a new species of Binturong arise in our lifetime. But I wanted to highlight this concept to show that sometimes sciences we may view as black and white may not be so clear. I used to question what I could ever study in evolutionary biology or zoology, but I've learned that evolution and species are not as simple as you were taught in high school. I could talk about this topic for a while, but there's still so much more to cover, so please reach out to me over social media if you want more information on how we define species or different processes of speciation. So they are nocturnal and live high up in trees. Sounds familiar, right? Oh, I should also mention that for the most part, these are solitary animals. However, unlike the I.I., they aren't necessarily territorial. In fact, it is not uncommon to see a small group of binturongs. If you do, most likely it's a mating pair in their offspring. In fact, studies show there is about a 35% overlap of binturong home ranges on average, meaning that they don't mind sharing their territory, they just rather avoid each other. They do come together to mate, which we think happens all year round without a proper mating season. However, more births seem to occur from January to March, but binturongs can do this thing called delayed implantation. Don't worry, we'll discuss this in a moment, which could explain the timing of these births. We think binturongs are monogamous, but very little research has been done into their mating system. Some males have been documented remaining with a female to care for their young, while others seem to just go about their lives. We also think they breed about two times a year and typically have about two offspring per litter, but they can have up to six babies in one go. And, no matter if the dad sticks around, the mom will always care for their young until they are independent. Which, I couldn't find an estimate of when that occurs. But, somewhere between six to eight weeks, they are weaned off their mother's milk. The binturong has a gestation period of about 90 days. Baby binturongs are born typically weighing about 142 grams, with their eyes sealed, much like kittens, and for the first few days of life remain hidden in their mother's fur. At the six to eight week mark when they are weaned, they are the size of a domestic house cat with their very own thick coat of fur. Additionally, at this age, they begin to explore for themselves and eat solid food. The females will reach reproductive age at 30 months, or at about two and a half years, while males will reach this milestone a few months earlier at 28 months. Sometimes, young may choose to stay with their group after reaching independence, but most of the time they part ways once they are independent. Bintrongs will grow up to 9 to 20 kilograms in weight and 60 to 96 centimeters in length. Typically, they will live for 18 years in the wild and 27 years in captivity. Oh, and females will be about 20% larger and heavier than males. Because of this, in Binturong society, females are the dominant sex. Okay, delayed implantation. What is that? 
Well, it is when animals can control when a fertilized embryo is implanted. Basically, it allows the mother to control when their babies are born. If you know the ideal environment is four months from now and not three months from now, the binturong will delay the implantation by a month. It's a little more nuanced than that, but the general idea is that these animals can control when they want to give birth. The binturong is one of very few mammals that have this ability. And while it does allow these animals to control when they want to reproduce, it makes it difficult for scientists to establish if there is or isn't a mating season. There is actually quite a bit about the binturong that seems to be uncertain. For example, earlier I said they were nocturnal, but some sources say that they may be crepuscular or most active at dawn and dusk, or even diurnal. As it turns out, they have good vision in both the day and night, so it seems to be up to the binturong when it wants to be active. Many of the sources I read said they rarely come down from trees, but another said they've been documented swimming or diving to obtain food. This seems weird to me because of their diets, which we will get into in a little bit. What we do know is that no matter where they are, the binturong moves fairly slowly and much like a bear. They will use their prehensile tail as an extra limb, which helps them climb and move throughout the canopy. When they are active, they spend their time looking for food or grooming themselves. And you're probably wondering what a binturong will eat. And I already shared that they're in the order carnivora, meaning they're carnivores. So clearly all they eat is meat, right? Nope. Binturongs are more omnivores than they are carnivores. Actually, they are largely frugivore. It is said that these animals prefer fruits over other animals. The binturong plays a vital role of spreading seeds in the ecosystem by pooping out the seeds of the fruit they eat. They will also catch and eat rodents. There is one species of fruit that wouldn't be able to survive without this species. The strangler fig relies on the binturong to spread its seeds, much like other species. However, the binturong is one of two species that have special digestive enzymes that can soften the seed's tough outer covering. If the binturong did not do this, the seeds would never germinate. Because of its relationship with the strangler fig, the binturong is said to be a keystone species. A keystone species is a species that greatly impacts its ecosystem. If a keystone species were removed, the environment would change drastically. That is true in the case of the binturong, because if it were removed, seeds would not be spread to such a great extent, and the strangler fig would no longer be able to survive. Now, the reason I said it didn't make sense to me that the binturong would be seen diving for food is because I've not read anything about them eating fish or other aquatic species. That doesn't mean it doesn't happen, but to me it seems like the binturong has the mentality of a sloth and tries not to do more foraging or hunting than necessary. All that aside, the species are great swimmers, and most likely has to do with the environment in which they are found, as many tropical rainforests are home to many rivers or other bodies of water. Plus, who doesn't love swimming? So, we know what the binturong eats, but what eats the binturong? Well, not much. In fact, humans are thought to be the primary predator of this species. That being said, should they encounter a tiger or a dole, most likely they don't stand a chance. It's a good thing they hang out in the canopy, then. I don't think many big cats or wild dogs spend much time up there. Okay, the last thing I want to cover is the communication within the binturong species. Now, I couldn't decide where I wanted to put this topic, so I decided to put it where I would typically put fun facts, because this is the most fun fact there is. The binturongs have a very interesting system of communication. First, they make all sorts of noises. If they're happy, they will snort or chuckle. If bothered, they will make a high-pitched wail that the San Diego Zoo says sounds like a cat screaming. They can also hiss, growl, or howl. 
Aside from their wide variety of sounds, binturongs communicate via smell. Now, this isn't odd in the animal world. You've probably heard of pheromones or chemical odors an animal will excrete when it's time to mate. Some animals, like the skunk, will use smells to warn others of a predator. What is interesting about the binturong smell is that they smell like buttered popcorn. I think this is interesting because the only other time I've heard of an animal smelling like something very pleasant was simply because it was the majority of their diet. I'm talking about koalas smelling like eucalyptus, by the way. But binturongs don't eat buttered popcorn, so why smell like it? Much like the other examples I gave, the scent is used to warn of predators or indicate that they are entering another individual's territory. It can also help them find a mate. The scent is secreted by an oil gland under their tail and is spread by dragging their tails over surfaces, like tree branches, to indicate where they've been. And it doesn't smell like buttered popcorn to them. In fact, they have no idea what buttered popcorn is. That is very much a human food. It just so happens that we identify their natural smell with our favorite snack at the movies. Really, the association humans have with the smell is pure coincidence. I'm assuming the chemical structure in the odor secretion and buttered popcorn are similar or share similar aromatic properties. And if I'm being honest with you, I would Google it and take a look at the chemical structures myself, but I am finally done with all the chemistry courses I have to take in college, and I will not be subjecting myself to more chemistry for the sake of my mental health. But now you know, if you're ever in a rainforest in Southeast Asia and smell buttered popcorn, there is probably a binturong around. Before we go, we have to talk about their conservation. According to the IUCN Red List, the binturong is vulnerable and its population is decreasing. This means if we don't take action soon, they are at risk of becoming endangered. Over the last 30 years, the wild population of binturong has been on the decline and has decreased about 30% globally. The major threat that the binturong face is man-made. As we cut down forests for materials and land, we are depriving the species of its resources. The binturong is dependent on dense, tall, tropical rainforests, and these are the regions in the world that are being destroyed at the most alarming rate. The good news is the wild populations are fairly healthy, so if we act now, we can prevent some of the challenges facing critically endangered species. And yes, even species that are not considered endangered need our help. This is not just our world. We share it with amazing wildlife, and the world cannot lose such a unique species, not only because it would likely lead to large-scale ecosystem collapse, but because wildlife diversity is crucial for our planet. The San Diego Zoo is a great place if you want to support the binturong. They have had binturongs in captivity since 1929 and do a lot of work on a global scale to save wildlife. Not to mention, through the AZA, the San Diego Zoo Safari Park has a species survival program for binturongs. Once again, I've linked the WWF page about the binturong on our website. They don't offer symbolic adoption for the species due to the fact that it's not classified as endangered, but, once again, contributing to them will help save this species, as well as those up for symbolic adoption. There are a number of facilities around the world that will let you symbolically adopt a binturong. If you are interested, I recommend googling adopt a binturong and doing research on the institution and what they will be putting the money towards. There are actually too many of them for me to list, but seriously, a quick google search will provide you with the same sites I'm looking at right now.
I have linked a site with a map of zoological institutions with a binturong if you want to go and see one in person. But remember, many don't like being awake during the day, so don't be disappointed if you don't see one roaming around. On the bottom of that site, there's also a place to donate to the AB conservation efforts in the Philippines to help the binturong. I couldn't find any organization that solely aimed to help this species, but many seem to want to save the tropical rainforest ecosystems around the world as a whole. I highly recommend looking into these if you want, because the binturong is in no way the only rainforest species facing hard times. And again, the best way to start any conservation effort is just to spread awareness. Tell your friends about the binturong. Maybe you go to one of the many universities or colleges in the United States that have the bear cat as its mascot, and your friends are always asking, what even is a bear cat? Tell them! Heck, use your school's mascot as a gateway to raise money to help save them. I highly recommend that everyone take a little time and do some research on these animals as they are truly fascinating. There is still so much about them that we need to learn, and if you are an aspiring wildlife biologist, I recommend you go out and start asking some questions about this species and their confusing behavior. I hope you enjoyed learning about the Bearcat with me and will stick around for next week's episode. Feel free to follow at A to Z Animal Pod on Instagram and Twitter for updates about upcoming episodes. And if you made it this far, please feel free to give me some feedback, be it over social media or email. All my contact information can be found on the A to Z Animal Podcast.com. What do you think I did well? What topic did you think I glossed over too fast? Do you want longer episodes, shorter episodes? Any feedback is so highly appreciated, as I am brand new to hosting a podcast and know there are probably a million things I could improve on. Thank you so, so much for listening to the A to Z Animal Podcast. I'm Michaela Baratka, and I hope you'll tune in next week as we move on to letter C for Caracal. Have a great day and stay safe. Be its common name. We don't actually know. We don't actually. We don't. A- <laughs> and it seems Pickle has a lot to say on the subject. <laughs> Cat or monkey day family. Kilometers. 6.2 square. She's form. Subspecies jewels would be a home ranges. The different naturally encounter each other. Continue. Eight. Two separate. Pickle is so loud today. <laughs> Why are you being so loud today? Pickle, can I just get through the sentence, please, without you screaming? Formation result of fit. I wanted to fight. Some sciences. I used to study an evolution. Not a simple. Terry animal. Okay. Familiar, right? Seriously? What? Pickle. Pickle. Stop it. Get some help. Get some help. You were so quiet last week. What happened? Today you just decided I'm going to be a brat? Is that what you decided today? Okay. We also think weaned off their milk. You're so pleased with yourself. But someone... Six to eight weeks off their mother's.
six to eight weeks. They are a hundred and they're the size of a very own coat of fur. Additionally, at this point, but you do know is the best way to gate later save stop it. You're messing me up. Save them. Pickle's very passionate about this as well. I can't get through. <laughs>